You're listening to Reformed University Fellowship at the University of Kentucky. Here at RUF, we believe that you are never so good that you are beyond the need of God's grace, and you are never so bad that you are beyond the reach of God's grace. For more information, check us out at ruf.org backslash UK or on Instagram at UKRUF. Thanks so much for listening. Hi guys, so today's, tonight's scripture will be Luke eleven thirty-seven through 54. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at a table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue every herb, and neglect justice and love of, and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you, lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets whom your father killed. So you are witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and build, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation. From the blood of Abel and the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I will tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you, lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch, to catch him in something he might say. This semester, we've been looking at uh, the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, tonight we come to a passage where Jesus confronts hypocrites. He confronts our hypocrisy. Uh, if you were to ask uh, people who have beef with Christianity uh, or people who, have, who people critique Christianity, uh, often one of, one of the things in their top 10 list, almost a guarantee, will be Christians don't act like the person they claim to follow. Uh, that's a pretty common, maybe you've heard that uh, from someone, maybe you've sensed that in your own heart or you've seen uh, it among other believers. Um, there was a book that came out like 12, 15 years ago called Unchristian, and it chronicled how people view Christianity. Um, and, and this was one of the big objections uh, by young Americans. Uh, how did Christians acquire a hypocritical image in, in America today? Let's start with the most obvious reason. Our lives don't match our beliefs. Our beliefs. In many ways, our lifestyles and perspectives are no different from those around any of anyone around us. Um, yeah, there's an issue people see when Christians either don't love the things Christ loves uh, or their lives look very different and sometimes even in opposition uh, to the life that Christ calls us uh, to live. And so what I think though is interesting is that, uh, and this is probably especially interesting for those who are skeptical of Christianity, is that this is not just an issue for people outside looking at the church. Uh, Jesus actually cares 
about this a lot. And as we read in this passage, he reserves some of his harshest words for those who claim to follow Jesus, but whose lives look very different. Uh, And so tonight we're going to look at that. We're going to look at uh, signs of hypocrisy uh, in our own lives and uh, the healing of hypocrisy. So let me pray for us uh, before we dive in. Father, Lord, all of us come to you uh, tonight. We come into this room tonight uh, as those who have failed to live up to the standard we claim. Lord, if we are truly honest with ourselves, uh, all of us come in to this room guilty of hypocrisy. Uh, Whether we claim to be a Christian or not, uh, Lord, that there are ways in which we have uh, promoted an idea or promoted a moral uh, or a gospel and then lived in such a way uh, that contradicts that truth. And so, Father, we need your wisdom, Lord. Uh, we need to be confronted with this, Lord, and we need to be healed of our hypocrisy. And so we ask, uh, Lord, that you'd expose us and heal us. In the name of Jesus, we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, during the first week of quarantine uh, last year, this was when, you know, we're kind of everyone on high alert. So this is, I guess, almost 18 months ago. Uh, we took a family outing, you know, it was one of the safe things you could do, you know, not much was open, schools were closed, so we went to Ashland, the Henry Clay Estate, and did a family walk, you know, but this is like, you know, it was before like masks were, you know, widely sold, and, you know, but everyone, you know, if you saw someone at the park, you were like allowing like 15 feet, you know, uh, between you minimum, and like, Everyone, it's just, everyone's on high alert. Everyone's like, we don't know what this is. And like, but you know, like there's certain things to avoid. Like you don't want to be like eating after people or like, you know, coughing near people. So anyway, we're on this walk, brought our kids and uh, about halfway around that mulch path, uh, there like some tree stumps and our kids are playing on it. And uh, all of a sudden look over and our youngest son is guzzling this bottle of water. And uh, we soon realized that we did not bring a bottle of water. And... Uh, that would have, I mean, some of you are probably cringing like that. That thought, even COVID aside, is probably just enough to make you cringe and want to leave this room. But let me tell you, during that first week, that was pretty, I was just, at that moment, I was like, we're done. Like, if this thing's going to, if this thing's in our house, like, we have no hope. Our children are just going to ingest something. And it was like, if people saw that happening, it was like horrifying. It was like, oh, that's not just like a bad idea. That's like, like, get away from me. Like, you know, um... I say that to say because that would have been the exact reaction these Pharisees would have had to Jesus when they sat down to eat a meal and he did not wash his hands in the way they washed their hands. Uh, There's this document called the Mishnah, which which kind of outlines a lot of the rules that the Pharisees uh, had that had added to Judaism. Um, And if you read through that, uh, the hand-washing commands are pretty... uh, We'll just say they're pretty dense. Like it wasn't just like, hey, you need to wash your hands before meals. Like you need to wash your hands. And if some of the water that you washed your hand in gets back on that hand, that that hand is dirty and needs to be washed again. And so they took uh, an idea of ceremonial cleanliness and applied it to like all of life. Uh, the, the problem was is that uh, those laws that they added to meals were actually not given by God. Uh, and, and they added to scripture. And this is what Jesus gets ramped up about. This is when Jesus says, you have missed the point. 
You, you know, you care about the outside of the cup, but, but, but the inside of the cup is, is, is filthy and, and dirty. And, and this is kind of a common theme you see throughout the Old Testament. You, you know, if you remember 1 Samuel 17, when, when, when David is chosen, you know, uh, they look at all the sons uh, and, you know, God says, man looks on the outward appearance, uh, but God looks at the heart. God is concerned. He's much more concerned with our hearts uh, than with our outward appearance. And, th- and that's what Jesus is getting at here. He's saying the Pharisees have totally missed the point. Uh, but here's the deal. Pharisees were widely respected. We've talked about this some this semester because they come up a lot in the gospel. These were not just like loosey-goosey, kind of like bad guys. They were really widely respected. And, and if they were capable of falling into this trap of hypocrisy, uh, you and I will be as well. Uh, sorry to bring up another COVID theme illustration, but uh, you, you, I don't know if they still promote this, but they had like the daily, the daily check-in. Last year was a big deal. Like go through these things, check these things and, and submit them. Um, in the same way, if, if we're going to be susceptible to hypocrisy, we need to daily check our hearts. Um, if the Pharisees can fall into it, uh, we can too. Uh, and, and so what are we to look at when we're looking at our heart? How do we, uh, yeah, how do we notice our own hypocrisy? Uh, and we're going to look at a few things tonight. The first thing we're going to look at is uh, one of the ways hypocrisy shows up, one of the signs of hypocrisy, uh, is that uh, you begin to focus on minor issues, all the while neglecting things that God loves, like justice. Um, verse, if you look at verse 42, uh, he says, uh, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Tithing is the Old Testament practice of giving 10% uh, of, of your crops, and God commands that. But the thing is, he never commands tithing all of these herbs, and yet the Pharisees had not only instituted that, but they've also demanded it of people. And so he's saying, look, you care about this thing that God doesn't actually command. All the while, you're neglecting the things that he loves. He cares about justice. We know what people care about um, when we see what they're angry about. And, and one of the things that upsets God the most in the Old Testament, some of his harshest words in the Old Testament are not reserved for like, um, people who just reject him and go worship idols and do all sorts of crazy things. Some of the harshest words God speaks in the Old Testament, especially to the prophets, uh, are reserved for those who claimed to follow God or claimed to be a member of Israel and yet neglected justice, neglected the poor and the orphans and the widows. Amos five eleven, he says, Israel, he's speaking to, to his people. He says, Israel tramples the poor and takes extra taxes. He says, and so he says, as a result of that, you will build houses but not live in them. You will cultivate vineyards but not enjoy the wine. You hear what he's saying? Because you have trampled on the poor, uh, there will be punishment for that. Next chapter, he says, Woe to you who are at ease. Woe to you who lie on beds of ivory. Woe. He's pronounced that, that word woe is, is a pronouncement of judgment. Uh, Isaiah 10, woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression, to those who turn aside the needy from justice and rob the poor of my people of their right. 
that widows may be their spoil and that they make, make the fatherless their prey. He, he's pronouncing woes on his people for neglecting the very people he commands them to care for. Widows, orphans, the poor. Ezekiel 22, the people of this land have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They've oppressed the poor and the needy and have extorted from the sojourner without justice. Therefore, my indignation is upon them. Uh, and remember, this is not words reserved for like people doing these outlandish, crazy, idol-worshiping things. This is for people who claim to be religious, who claim to be members of Israel, but were neglecting the things that God loves. One author put it this way. He said, the Pharisees were scrupulous to an extreme manner about small matters in the ceremonial law, and yet they were utterly regardless of the simplest first principles of justice to man and love toward God. The Pharisees were not defending the weak, protecting the poor, welcoming strangers, helping widows, orphans, or doing any of the other things the Bible called justice. And so this is one of the symptoms of hypocrisy is that we care or maybe we promote how much we care about these certain things maybe that God commands or maybe in some cases that he doesn't even command, all the while neglecting things that God actually loves and cares about. Why does this happen? I, I don't think people initially set out to do this, you know? And if you're aware of your own hypocrisy, you don't think like, oh yeah, I'm going to just kind of do this and neglect these other things. Why does this happen? Why would people begin to make such a big deal about these certain things that are often trivial, all the while neglecting things that God loves? Oftentimes, that is because there is often hidden sin that we don't want to address and we don't want to admit. And so instead of actually admitting that sin and admitting our own brokenness, we actually focus on things that maybe we do well. And we become really dogmatic about the, these, these things that maybe aren't that important. Because it's scary to actually address our own sin. It's a lot easier to speak and be dogmatic about things that are not important uh, than address kind of the own brokenness and the own sin of our own heart. Second sign of hypocrisy is that we become enslaved to appearances. Verse 43 says... Uh, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Uh, there were certain places you could sit in the synagogue, uh, and there's certain people you could sit around, but there were certain places that you could sit that, that, that would make you look like you were doing something really holy or really religious. And Jesus is saying, you love sitting there. You love when you can look religious. You, you love it when you can look holy. And he says, woe to you, and they were greeted by certain people that just felt good. Uh, and look, that struggle, it may not be in the synagogue, it may not be in the marketplace, but gosh, th th that same struggle is true for us. We love being seen and noticed by the right people. Uh, we love being able to walk in the student center and, and be noticed by people, or, or maybe called out by a professor and said, hey, you did a great job. We, we love getting that sort of attention. Uh, and then which is not always bad. It's not always bad to get attention from when we do well. The problem is then we start putting ourselves in places just so that we receive that attention. And it becomes something that maybe we can enjoy to all of a sudden something that we love. Um, we always have people every week at RUF that are coming uh, with, with various relationships to Christianity and various relationships to Jesus. 
um, and so this may not be true of everyone, but, but it's true for a lot of people that come to something like RUF, is that if you're coming to something like RUF, it's likely or it's possible that you want to be thought of as a Christian, um, which is a good thing. Maybe you're considering following Jesus. Um, but if you want to be thought of, if you want to be known as a Christian, there will always be a temptation to place more of an emphasis on how people think of you and how you're perceived than on your heart. Jesus is getting at that here. There will always be an attempt, a temptation to put, place a greater emphasis on how we look and how we appear uh, than on our actual heart. Many of you know I'm Irish, and one of the things I inherited from my Irish lineage is Irish teeth. Uh, so um, I have what my dentist calls a high decay rate, uh, and I remember learning that at an early age. Someone was like, man, your teeth are pretty yellow. Like Someone said that in school, and of course, this is like middle school, so I was like ultra you know, self-conscious. I was like, okay, this is not going to happen. I remember getting like whitening you know, uh, whitening to- toothpaste and like going home and like really focusing like on my teeth. It was, I mean, hey, the whitening toothpaste actually works. The next dentist appointment I went to, I had to get like two crowns and three fillings because I was really doing a great job of brushing the teeth that people could see. But all, all the while, and my kid, even, my kids noticed that they're, they're like, Dad, you got these black stuff in your teeth. Um, I said, yeah, that, those, are, those are cavities. Um, why? Because I was a self-conscious teenager who wanted his teeth to look good all the while neglecting the teeth that actually needed, the teeth that actually bite and consume sugar. Uh, we can do the very same thing. We can be so consumed with how we appear uh, all the while neglecting our hearts. Um, we can do this in various ways. We can do it, you know, in you know the way we carry ourselves across campus, how we act in class, uh, how we act in social situations, um, online. How, however, uh, we can fall into this trap so easily. Third sign of hypocrisy is that we add to the gospel. Look at verses forty-five and forty-six. He says, "One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things, you insult us also.' And he said." Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you. Um, we mentioned this earlier, but one of the things that the Pharisees were notorious for doing, and these lawyers, were, were adding laws to the gospel, uh, adding laws uh, that God did not command. There are plenty of laws in the Old Testament, but, but they did a great job of adding laws, like the thing Jesus gets upset with at the very beginning, hand washing. Uh, there was no law. God never commanded people to wash their hands before they ate. Certainly for, before certain sacrifices, before certain ceremonies, yes. Uh, there was no command to tithe all these herbs. Uh, but they added these things. They added on to the law. And in adding on to the law, whenever we add on to God's word, what we inevitably do is we actually subtract from it. Uh, the gospel, the way God saves us is by grace. That's something you see all throughout the gospel of Luke. Some of you were in the Exodus uh, small group and you see this very same thing in the book of Exodus. Uh, God saves people not because they're good or they're impressive. He saves us by our grace. And when we add certain things or, or, or we expect certain things of people if they're to be Christians in our eyes, we're actually detracting from the gospel. 
uh, were saying Jesus' work was not enough. And we can do this in all sorts of ways. There might be certain things that you think it's right for people to do. It may not be something God commands. Maybe it's a way you dress or a way people use their money or like the way people talk. And you might think like, this is, this is the way people ought to act. And then you expect, well, because I believe that I'm a Christian, therefore, if someone is a Christian and not doing that, that's something I need to be upset about. And all of a sudden, we become upset about things that are not actually commanded in Scripture. Um, that can lead to all sorts of issues. It can lead to pride. Uh, it'll lead to a lot of shame in our own lives because we know we're not measuring up to the same thing. And, and so are, are you, the question we have to ask ourselves is, are, are you more concerned with people acting the way you want them to act? Or are you more concerned with them actually knowing and trusting and following Jesus? So, so, so where does all this lead us? Where does a life of hypocrisy, when, when hypocrisy sneaks into our lives, where does it lead us? Inevitably, it'll lead us to hide. Uh, all these things, when we emphasize how we look, uh, when we add to the gospel, when we major on minor things, all of this is going to lead us to hide from others and hide from God. You'll be obsessed with keeping up certain parts of your life all the while downplaying other parts of your life. There might be certain things you really want people to know about you, uh, but you're inevitably going to be hiding things uh, and helping people avoid seeing certain parts of your life. Um, it'll lead you to look down on other people. Uh, and, and this can even happen in like really subtle ways. And what's weird is that it, it can even happen even in the way we talk about Christianity and the gospel. Uh, if we become obsessed with how we look and that becomes the emphasis of our hearts, all of a sudden the, the way we talk about Christianity can, can look more like and sound more like, hey, I didn't know Jesus, but now I know Jesus and I got my life together and, and you can also get your life together if you follow Jesus. That's not the gospel. That's like life improvement. Um, but all of a sudden we can actually call people to living a better life rather than bringing themselves to Jesus. It can easily become more about us than the God who saves. You'll end up hiding. You'll end up prideful, looking down on others. Uh, and inevitably, you'll end up angry. Uh, when we focus more and more on how we look and how we're perceived by other people, it will inevitably lead us to be angry. Uh, we'll, we'll be angry at other people for not respecting us that we want to be respected. Uh, we'll be angry at ourselves for not measuring up. Uh, we'll be angry at God because we think he's never going to, that we can never do enough for him. Look, there is not, <laughs> I said this at the beginning, there's not a person on this campus or in this world that does not struggle with this to some degree or another. We're all guilty of hypocrisy. And so what do we do? This is a sobering passage. Uh, it's exposing. It's scary. Uh, Jesus doesn't hold back here. Um, and, our, and our temptation to miss this can be like, I need to do something. I've got to do something. Um, maybe. But likely you need to bring your heart. You know, he'll, he'll say uh, here in this passage, he says, um, verse 41 says, give as alms those things that are within you know what Jesus is calling you to bring? Your heart. 
He's actually call, calling you to bring yourself, not the impressive parts of you. He's calling you and me to come to him as we truly are. In the midst of your fear, in the midst of your hypocrisy, coming to him, admitting, Lord, this is who I am. I have been a hypocrite. I am a hypocrite. I've emphasized these things and I've totally avoided the things that you love. That's the invitation of this passage. Uh, and, and even right before that, he says, uh, verse 40 says, you fools, did he who not made the outside make the inside also? We need to know that in doing this, we're coming to a God who knows us inside and out. We need to know that God knows the outside and knows the inside. We have a God who knows who you really are and knows what you're really like and knows what you really love. He sees everything you do. We can't fool him. Uh, this can lead to fear. <laughs> that, that truth about God can lead us to say, oh my gosh, there's nowhere I can run from God. If you read Psalm 139, that's the, that, the psalmist acknowledges it and he says, there's nowhere I can go. Uh, it can lead to fear, but it can actually also lead to great comfort. And it can actually lead to greater honesty and greater integrity. Because if, if God knows you, you don't have to be on all the time. If, if the God who made you knows you, you don't have to project a better image than who you are because God knows. He's, he can cut through all of, our, all of our facade, all of our projections. God knows you. Therefore, you can come to him in honesty and integrity. You don't have to be on all the time. And so this is actually a great question to ask yourself is, does that truth of God's knowing the inside as well as the outside, uh, does that horrify and harden your heart or does that give you actually great comfort? As you get to know Jesus, that is actually a great comfort. And the more you know Jesus, actually the more comforting that truth will be. <laughs> because the more you'll see how much God loves you, the fact that he knows that much about you and knows those things about you and sent his son to die for you, that'll actually become a huge comforting thought. Look, when you know that, when you know that the God who knows the inside and the outside of you sent his son to live a perfectly obedient life and then die for you, you don't have to judge other people. You can come as you are. You know, it talks about in verse 51 that there'll be blood spilled for this. That this hypocrisy is actually worthy of blood being spilled. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came as someone who was full of integrity, who perfectly obeyed his father and shed his blood for you and for me. And because you're secure in that truth, uh, it, it actually frees you up to love God and to love the things that he loves, to fight against injustice and, and to be as, as scrupulous on your own sin and on your own junk as you are on other people's. Uh, and to love the things that God loves and to resist the things that God hates. Um, two things in conclusion. Uh, that's how we're healed. We're healed by the blood of a, uh, of a Savior who lived a perfect life for us. 
If you're a believer in this room, uh, you need help. We, we need help. We cannot seek to run from our own hypocrisy alone. One of the greatest gifts God's given us is community. And so I would really encourage you. Uh, here, we all admitted it. We're all hypocrites, okay? So now you can feel free to tell someone that you can trust that you are a hypocrite and they won't be surprised. Um, but we need help. Uh, it, it, this week, I would encourage you to tell someone, look, you know what? I really, str- I really project this specific thing about me and I've totally neglected this. That would be such a blessing for your friend to hear, to know that, they, that you actually need Jesus too. We don't need to pretend that we don't need Jesus. We can't fight this battle alone. Um, to those who are skeptical of Christianity, I also want to say this. I think this is one of the criticisms most often hurled at Christianity. Uh, your frustration is the same as many other people. Religious people say they believe this, but then they go do this and this. They say they, you know, they, should, you know, they believe Jesus, but they're really like proud uh, when they, in fact they should be humble and kind. Uh, I think that's often a worthy uh, and accurate criticism. But what I want to say to you is don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, if you abandon belief in God, where do you get the resources to just want to be kind and good? Because I think that, 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 that criticism of Christians often assumes, well, hey, you shouldn't act like this. You should be kind and good. Well, why? Where do we get the motivation to do that? And in the gospel, we get that motivation because Jesus actually was perfectly kind and good. And he died for us. And we, while we didn't deserve it, while we were hypocritical. And he did that, that we might live a life of justice, of kindness, of humility. Let's pray to that end. Father, uh, Lord, uh, this is a hard and humbling passage. Lord, we confess that we are a lot like the Pharisees in this passage, Father. Uh, Lord, we are those who uh, so often uh, want to project a better version of ourselves than is actually true. Uh, Lord, we so often obsess with how to do that and spend more energy doing that than we do loving you and loving justice. Father, forgive us. Lord, we thank you, Father, that uh, you don't look at a group of hypocrites and run, but Lord, you uh, sent your son, Jesus, who was tempted over and over to be something that he wasn't, to be a political hero, uh, to be a religious hero. And he resisted all those and perfectly obeyed you that he might be our savior. And so, Father, we pray for help in the name of him who saved us. Christ Jesus, amen.